incredible things today to see about Christ and who he is and what he does. John eleven thirty three. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in a spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Glad that you are here this morning. As we conclude the narrative of Jesus in Bethany and and encountering Lazarus in the tomb, we began to look at this last week, and I wanted to emphasize it again as we began this morning, that one of the great doctrines of our Christian faith is the incarnation, that Jesus is one person, and yet in Jesus, he had two natures. He was 100% God. At the same time, he was 100% Man, And I wanted to remind us this morning of these two natures in the person of Christ and why these things are so important for us. And we see both of them in the text. And so in the Gospel of John, John has shared with us many powerful things that Jesus has done. He's had this unique encounter in John chapter 2 where he changes the water into wine. He's met the woman, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. In John 5, he heals a paralytic. He gives sight to a man who is blind. There just are a number of really significant things that Jesus did. He fed the, with a couple of loaves and a few fish, um, somewhere upwards to probably 20,000 people on that day. Um, and so he has done a number of things. But I wanted to remind us of the power of Jesus and what he can do from some of the other places in the Gospels. And so I want to just remind us of his deity, that in the person of Jesus, this is God. And he had come here, he had taken on flesh, he had been among us. And so in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus encounters a leper one day. Um, I've seen leprosy in, in a couple places in the world, and, and it's really staggering to see. You may have seen pictures, but I've seen it in person, where the skin begins to grow over the fingers and the toes, and sometimes it even begins to grow over the nose, and, and the person kind of doesn't even look like a person. It's just it's really, really devastating. And so Jesus encounters this man. We don't know how long he's had leprosy, but when you were a leper in those days, you were unclean and you had to stay away. You lost. Uh, you couldn't be around your family. If you were a man, you couldn't be around your wife. And, and so they lived in these leper colonies, and it was really just really a devastating thing to happen. Jesus encounters this man. Everybody stayed away from lepers for obvious reasons. You could catch it. But Jesus walks up to the man, 
places his hands on the man, and immediately everything that would have been deformed is made new. Everything that was wrong is made new. So that's in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 9, there's this incredible, powerful story. Jesus is moving through the city, and there's a woman who has faith, and either she has seen Jesus, heard about Jesus, she's been somewhere where he has done something, but she's convinced that if she could just work her way through the crowd and just touch his garment as he comes by, that this man is powerful, he is good, and that she would be healed. She had a blood condition where she was bleeding daily for 12 years. No doctors could help her. So Jesus is making her his way through. She works her way somehow through the crowd and by faith reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, and immediately power goes out from him. She knows that something has changed. He knows that something has happened, and he stops and he turns around, and he has a conversation with her. He has that kind of power. In Mark chapter 4, there's another amazing story about Jesus. Uh, A few days ago, if you'll remember, we had a good old Texas storm in the middle of the night. It was loud and bright and just powerful. Well, there was a time when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and they were on the Sea of Galilee and they have some pretty, pretty good storms in Israel on the Sea of Galilee. And the storm comes up, it's rocking the boat and it's loud and Jesus is perfectly calm sleeping in the boat. Not being woken up by anything, just asleep. And so they go and wake him up like, hello, uh, can you look around? I know you've been resting, but can you look around? He gets up and he speaks. And what was chaos becomes calm. This is the power that he has. He can touch a leper. A woman can touch the hem of his garment and be healed. He can speak to the storms and they calm. Another interesting one is in Mark chapter 5. There's a man who's been living in the tombs. He's demon possessed and he's been living in the tombs for a long time. Um, when he would have his demonic episodes, he would be violent and crazy. So they would... They would chain him up with chains, lock him up. And he was so powerful that he would break free from the chains. And so nobody could do anything with him. Chains couldn't bind him. Nobody in the community had any other solutions as to what to do with this man. Nothing could happen until Jesus showed up. And Jesus showed up, cast the demons out of the man. And I love what, what, what Mark writes, that when the people from the village who used to lock him up because they couldn't do anything about him they came to the man and he was in his right mind see jesus can do that he can set our minds that are chaotic and and not not calm he can bring a calmness and he can bring a perspective to the minds that are really wrestling with things and then i love this one it's a little um not talked about overly much when we talk about the the work of Jesus, but it's beautiful. He does another miracle on the Sabbath day, which obviously the religious leaders are not going to be happy with, but there's a woman who for 18 years, and you probably have seen people like this, that they have back trouble, that they, they have to live walking like this. And for 18 years, this was her condition. Bent over, not able to straighten up, and it's the Sabbath day, and Jesus touches her, and this is what her back does. And I could go on and on this morning of the things that Jesus did just in the Gospels. And so I want to remind us this morning that as Jesus 
comes into the tomb where death has been present for four days. This is the presence of God in a body. And he has all power to speak, move, touch, whatever he needs to do to overcome what man cannot do. So as we talk about this this morning, I want to remind us of the all-powerful nature of Christ. He is God. So secondly, let's talk about His human nature. And so we, we talked about this last week. There's a wonder and beauty to what the text tells us. Jesus felt what people felt. And so, so it tells us in 33, Jesus saw one of the sisters of Lazarus, Mary, weeping. He saw those that had followed her from the house. They were also weeping. Jesus was moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, you come and see. In verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, it says that Jesus wept. John chapter 11 has a lot of weeping in it. There are professional mourners there that have come and they are weeping. The friends who know Lazarus and Mary and Martha, um, they are weeping. Mary and Martha are weeping. And here you have the all-powerful Son of God weeping. What an incredible picture of our God that He understands humanity and He understands the pain that you and I face. Life has many gut-wrenching moments, does it not? Some really, really powerful ones. And the great news this morning is, is that our God is acquainted with grief. He's the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant. And so He knows when we are in pain, He understands that. He understands temptation and yet never gave in to the temptation. So there's a beautiful majesty that is displayed in Bethany in this day at a tomb where there is grieving, where there is weeping, where there is sadness, where there is where there is, I wish I could talk to my brother again. I wish I could talk to my friend again. And it seems that everything is hopeless. And yet there's a wonder of the mighty power of God. And there's a wonder about His humanity that He understands things. And so here's Christ weeping over the, not only the rejection of Him and the doubt of who He is, but He's also weeping with those who also are suffering. And as He weeps, He gives a dignity to the pain and grief and the emotions that sometimes we feel in these moments. He affirms in a kind of what we do as well is when we lose someone that we love, our tears flow from our eyes as a tribute to the impact that person had upon our lives of of honoring the life investment that they've made in us. As Jesus weeps and he sees it there, he affirms that he knows what it's like to lose someone that you love. And lastly, I love this about our God. He is able to weep with those who weep. I want you to think about that for a moment. He is able to weep with those who weep. And so I think there's multiple reasons, likely for the weeping in Bethany at the tomb on this day. He feels and senses the emotions of everyone that they are feeling grief. He understands that. I think he's also angry at the unbelief that is being displayed once again, that he doesn't have the power, and there's doubting in who he is. I think there's a possibility that he, we know this from John eleven four. he knew what he was going to do on this day. He knew he was about to bring Lazarus out of the tomb. So there's a possibility that even some of his emotion is tied with the joy that he's about to establish 
in the midst of people by raising Lazarus. And I think he's also probably a bit angry at death and death, what it brings, because, of, well, sin, what sin brings, it brings the outcome of death. So there's a lot of emotion that is here. So I want to remind us this morning, one person, Jesus, who has two natures, fully God, fully man, on display in Bethany. Look at verse 37. Listen to the second thing this morning. Nothing is too late with Jesus. So verse 37 says, But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? If you would, look up here just for a moment. I, I was, I was going to give this caveat in the beginning, but I'll just do it now. This week I have not become a prosperity gospel preacher, okay? So I don't want you to get worried as I kind of talk through this this morning. But I do want to say this this morning. I want to remind you and I this morning that our God can still do mighty, powerful things. Okay? Are y'all with me? He is Almighty God, and so He still can. So, so I'm not going to go way overboard, but I just want to remind us this morning, sometimes in our life we come to church and, and we come week after week and month after month, and before we even know it, it's been years, and we think, I'm just always going to be stuck in the, the way that I've been living. I'm never going to find freedom. And I just want to say this morning, He has the power this morning to free you and I from whatever has bound us. And whatever we're trapped in. And we think that there's no hope. It's just locked away in a tomb. And that death that just is going to remain a part of our life. I just want to remind us this morning. That maybe not. Sometimes we have to live with things. And then sometimes he moves. And he does incredible things. And so it's not too late. So watch what happens. A lot of weeping going on. Jesus is weeping. They look at Jesus and they're like, man, look how much he loved this family and he loved Lazarus. And they have a conversation with one another. You, remember, you know, they, look, at, look at this. Here we're now in John, John chapter 11. They're still talking about John chapter 9. How significant was the healing of the blind man? They're still talking about it just outside of Jerusalem. This was significant. A man born blind has gotten his sight in John chapter 9. And so they're talking to one another Gosh, if he could have been here, just think if he could have been here. The guy that could open the eyes of a man who's born blind, if he could have been here, he has the power and authority that he could have kept Lazarus from dying. And so listen to this church this morning. We must sometimes in our lives be reminded in our faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, not just what God could do, but what he can do. That he can rescue souls. He can bring prodigals home. He can restore marriages that seem on the brink of not making it. Nobody in the text thinks that anything's going to happen on day four in Bethany. Nobody has that perspective. Nobody has that thinking. Though Jesus has been saying, Mary, if you'll believe me, you will see the glory of God. So he both can... He could, he can do anything in every aspect of our lives. We're the ones who have to wrestle with the tension of this. We pray and ask and we have to wait and trust him with things. So let me just go here. 
before we move on to point three. What can he truly do today on this last Sunday in May 2021? What can he do today, right now? I thought about this last night as I was sitting at our kitchen table. And I know in a room like this, there are people that for years and years and years, you have been locked away in a tomb wanting emotional and spiritual healing. And you've tried multiple things to find the freedom, to get that stone rolled away so that you could come out of that death tomb and and move into a place of freedom and power. And I just want to say today that He can do that. He wants to bring freedom to our lives in our shackled emotions and the trauma that's there. If you've had deep trauma that's happened even in your childhood, while the memory of those things may remain, there are, I know people in this room who've had these things and you have come to a place where God has brought freedom, has He not? He's brought that freedom. He can. He can do this. I thought last night about many people, particularly in our day and time and culture, we battle with thought life so much that leads men and women down bad paths in the internet and other places. And, and there's this thing of, of, I don't want to go there again. I don't want my mind to go there. I don't want to go to this. And I, I'm just trapped in this, this death, in this tomb of just being consumed with a thought life and, and, and pervers, perverted things that I just don't know, am I ever going to find freedom? And I want to say this morning, yes, you can. Because Almighty God can bring the freedom. He is the resurrection and the life, and He can bring freedom. I thought about this third one that is really dominant because we live in such an angry culture today. And a lot of that stems from the issues of unforgiveness. And if you have unforgiveness in your life, you know what a, what a prison that is. And that freedom comes when you extend the forgiveness. And so there's some in the room this morning that you've been locked away in a tomb and the stone's been rolled there and you've been wrapped up and you're just stuck there. And I want you to know that this morning he's opened up. He's opened up because his grave is opened up. And he has the power and authority this morning to call you and I to a place of being empowered to forgive people who have done things against us. This is one that I know that some can relate to in the room. Some have adult children or even children in your home right now, and they are wayward from the Lord. They battle you. They fight you over issues of faith, and, and it's devastating. And I just want to remind you that he has the power to bring wayward children back into relationship with him. He has the power to do that. And here's one last one before we move on. The church in America, we've talked about it, and we'll continue to talk about it, is deeply troubled. But I think he has the power to awaken the people of God again in this country. Do you? I hope he has the power to do that. Wouldn't it be amazing in our lifetime to see another great awakening in our country and our country turn back to him? So here's the point. 
He's weeping. Everybody looks at each other. Man, you know, if he had been here, if he's got the power to open the eyes of the blind man, if he had been here, surely he's got the power to keep Lazarus from dying and he could have healed his sickness. And nobody has the expectation that nothing is too late with Jesus. And here's the third thing we need to see this morning is that our obstacles, and there are, we have obstacles, but our obstacles become platforms or stepping stones or avenues for Jesus to move. He can overcome the things that we think are impossible. So look at 38 and 39. So then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead, of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. And I love what we see here. Man's obstacles become avenues for Jesus to move. And look what it says. He has moved again. A second time he has moved. And the God who has moved, watch what he does. He moves. The God who is moved by what he sees now comes to the tomb and is there near the tomb where the tombstone is there in front of the entrance. So the God who is moved and is acquainted with our grief and is acquainted with the, the reality of the end result of sin, which is death. He is moved and he comes to the tomb. He came to the tomb. And I'm still this morning, I'm about to tell you something, remind you something that's biblical. And I'm still every time moved when I read it and I talk about it. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes, he deceives Adam and Eve. They eat of the fruit, sin enters their life. Um, They are fallen, they die spiritually on the inside that day. God comes to the garden. They hear God coming, they cover themselves and they hide in the bushes. And they're hiding away. And they think, And we think that we can hide away from God. He knows what they've done. He knows where they are. But they think they are hiding. And a beautiful thing happens in the text. And it's this. God came to the garden in their fallen state. And he called out to them. Hey, where are you? He hadn't lost them on his iPhone. GPS. He knew where they were already. He knew what they were doing, where they were hiding. He knew the emotions that were there. And he's calling out to them to say to them, Do you know where you are? You used to run when I came. But now you're hiding. Do you recognize where you are? And watch this. In their fallen state, the God who is almighty, the God who is sinless, watch drew near to fallen sinners. Is that not amazing this morning? That He is not like us where we stay away. He drew near to those who had stepped outside of His heart and His purpose. The God who is moved is the God who moves, and the God who's moved is the God who moves, and when He moves, He, the Bible shows us this all the time, He speaks. And so He said, take away the stone. Get it gone. 
That thing that's imprisoned him, get it gone. I wondered this. As I've written this, I wrote this a couple of months ago and, and uh, been thinking about this every day. Every day of my life uh, that I'm in town, uh, I drive to this building and I drive by this cemetery that's just down the street here. And so when I was walking through this text over the last several months, I think this every day that I drive by, days that I work or days that I'm just coming out here to, to check on things. And I wondered this. I wondered what Jesus thought when he walked here every time he passed a cemetery or a grave. I wonder what he thought. I wonder what his emotions were. I wonder if he, you know, what did he think to himself being here and seeing these things. And I wondered, did he see them as the symbols of, this, of sin's awful work? That when we sin, that it leads to death. Did he see them with disdain for the symbols that they were? The result of humanity's church, uh, choice to be their own God and our choice to believe a lie over his truth that we could find life away from him. There probably were a number of thoughts that he had. And secondly, I wondered, did he also see them as symbols of just a temporary holding place until the final resurrection for God's people? Did he just, he knew what he, he knows what he was going to do in the future. And did he look at them that way? You see, for Christ followers, a gravestone is just a symbol that we're coming out at the final resurrection. And that he's going to make everything right. He's going to restore our body with our soul. And so practically, in Bethany on this day, Lazarus can't come outside if the great stone is in the way. And so just practically, Jesus asked for the stone. He didn't have to have the stone. He could have done whatever he wanted to do but he asked he he wanted the stone to be removed for our sake to see that he can bring what's dead out and you could see what was dead walk out my family's not in this service but they were in the first service but i gave the first service permission and i'll give you permission to hold my family accountable if i die in the next few years and they get a tombstone made this is what i basically want on my tombstone this body is staying here until i rise at christ's coming see we have this great hope this morning our home is not here our home is beyond here and the hope is because of who christ is he is the resurrection and the life and because of that reality As He has risen, we will rise. He will rise us. He will raise us up. And there will be a final completion of our salvation. And so in the text, uh, there's all kinds of obstacles. It's been four days. There's a smell now. But all of these obstacles become pathways for Christ to step into and do His powerful work. Look at 39. So Martha, when Jesus says, remove the stone, in the second part of 39... Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Martha sees two great obstacles. And you, you and I can relate to these obstacles. The first one is this, is there's too much of a stench. There's too much death in this relationship. There's too much death in Lazarus. He's been dead this way, and he smells now. There's been too much death in my 
thought life. There's been too much death in this and just everything smells. And I can't get it out. You ever got anything in your car? See, you try to get it out, get in your carpet, can't get it out. It's just there. And some of us think that some of that odor of death and odor of life, of death, is just there and nothing can be done about it. I've been to a couple places in the planet on mission trips where it smells. And I'm not talking just curry cooking smell. I'm talking smells. And sometimes you're like, whoa. And there's not a trip that I've taken that every awful smell was worth it. It was worth every smell. You know why? Because on those trips, God moved and did something. And what, what Jesus is telling Martha on this day, yeah, I get it. The smell is going to be worth it. Let's get the stone removed because I'm going to call your brother out. Because that which was dead, I'm going to make alive again. And I'm going to do this great work. And so the stench and brokenness of life sometimes is present. But Christ has the power to bring about life and a freshness. And here's the second one. Sometimes we look at things and we just think it's just too much time has passed. Lord, it's been four days. I did some looking this week on what happens to the human body on day one and day two and day three and day four. It's not a lovely picture. You get to day four and there's children in the room, so I won't, I won't say all of it, but it's just not lovely what's going on. There was a false tradition and extra-biblical teaching that was among the Jews that said this, that for the first three days that a person died, the spirit hung around and would come back to the body and would look at the body and would go, oh, I don't really want to get back into that body. And by the fourth day, this false teaching and tradition that was around uh, during Jesus' time, by the fourth day, the spirit left. It was like, no way. <laughs> that does not look good. I don't want to get back into that. And so some have speculated that one of the reasons Jesus waited four days was just to trounce on this false teaching, just to say to it, this is not a true teaching. This is not accurate. But here he is on fourth, day four, and it's not too late. It's not too late even on day four. And so Jesus has moved. He moves. And he's going to speak. And man's obstacles become Jesus' avenues to do something. And here's why. Because he has a voice that awakens the dead. He has this voice. Look at verse 40 through 44. Let's read it again. So Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, I told you, that if you would believe me, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And I want to close here today, and I want to walk through several things here. 
that I think are really important. There are key aspects to learn here about the nature of Jesus as he stands at death's door, not just physical death, but the death that comes as a result of sin. And the first thing I want us to see is this, as he calls Mary and he calls you and I to believe in order that we will see. He doesn't call us to see to confirm our belief. And look what he says to her. Do you see what he says in 40? Did I not tell you if you would believe what I've been telling you? If you would believe the words that I've been telling you, you're going to see the glory of God today. You will see the glory of God. For Martha, this is really important. She would see what her heart needed most, which was not Lazarus alive again. What her heart needed most was to see the glory of Jesus in the resurrection of Lazarus. That's what she needed most, was to get a picture of the glory of God. This is always the greater need in our lives, that we would see God's glory revealed in the nature of Christ and who He is. And so for Martha, the greater need of her life was not Lazarus being alive again, but to see the glory of Jesus manifested in her midst. And one of the great aims of Christ in our life is to continue to develop our faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this, that without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God and believe, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so He says to Mary, Mary, I am here. And I told you, if you would believe, I am the resurrection and the life. If you would believe what I'm telling you, your brother will rise again and you will see the glory, the manifestation of the nature of God in your midst. And Martha's faith is seen that she obviously gives in and says, okay, roll away the stone, we'll deal with the smell. And his words, and we must allow his words to move us in faith to sometimes believe that there's just, God just does some unconventional things in our lives beyond human natural means that he does supernatural things in saving and rescuing people so the first thing about the voice that awakens the dead he calls us to believe and then we will see secondly notice the father-centered focus of jesus's life second part of verse 41 jesus lifted up his eyes and said father i thank you Look what it says, that you have heard me. Not, I hope that you hear me in a minute, but you have already heard me. You've heard what I've said. You've heard what I have spoken. And I tell you, all eyes, can you imagine all eyes? He comes to the tomb, stones rolled away, and he's standing before this open doorway of the tomb. And everybody, every eye is just fixed on him, as it should be. Even right now this morning, our eyes must be fixed on the nature and the glory and the power and the majesty of Jesus. And he's standing right there at a symbol of death, a tomb. There's a dead man in the tomb. And compared to his glory, death is nothing. And Jesus is not going to act on his own. He's going to do what the Father has asked him to do because this is what he says. He has said it over and over again. Let me remind us. John 5, 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does 
likewise. And so facing the tomb, Jesus lifts his voice to the Father in prayer. And he tells us in this prayer that he didn't really need to talk to the Father out loud. The Father had already heard him. He had already heard him. And the Father always hears the Son when the Son calls. And so Jesus calls us to believe in order to see. Notice the Father-centered focus of the one who is speaking. And thirdly, let's look at this. The uniqueness of Jesus in his words and his mission. He gives a little bit more detail in verse 42. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around. So that they could hear this. So that they would notice again. What's he after? Belief. That they would believe that you sent me. Two really important things that I want to point out here. And the first one is this. Jesus' words are always heard by the Father. There's not a word that Jesus ever spoke that the Father didn't hear, He didn't listen to, He didn't heed, He, didn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't connected with because Jesus spoke what the Father said. And so when Jesus spoke, it was Almighty God speaking. And so every time Jesus spoke, every time Jesus prayed, watch this, the Father heard every single word. Parents, we are not like this. You remember, particularly when the kids are younger, and they just talk and talk and talk, and are you going to stop talking? And they talk, and they talk, and they talk. And so you learn as a parent early on that every now and then you go, husbands, don't do this with your wives, okay? And wives, don't do this with your husbands. But with kids, you, you learn, you're like, every now and then you just go, uh-huh. You know, just so that they think you're acknowledging that there's listening going on. Watch. We do that as parents with our kids. The Father never one time ever did that with Jesus. Every time Jesus spoke, the Father was intimately connected, hearing everything that Jesus said. So what does that mean to us this morning? You know what that means to us this morning? We have four books in the Bible that begin the New Covenant Revelation in words to us. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're studying the Gospel of John now. They reveal the words of Jesus. And every word that Jesus speaks in those four Gospels, the Father affirmed them, the Father honored them, the Father heard them, they had the full approval of the Father. So therefore, watch this, what must be the great priority of our lives? The word, that, the word that Jesus spoke and that the Father approved of. This is another reminder to us that it's important to know what Jesus teaches. The rest of the New Testament is the explanation of the life of Christ and who He is. All of the letters and all of these things and correcting false things that were understood about Him. And so, so we must see this, that as Jesus is... Standing before the tomb, he says this, Father, you hear every word that I speak. And the Father affirms that. The Father's ear was and is ever tuned to Jesus' words. One other thing I want to say about this, that the Father's words are tuned to Jesus's. So, at the end of 40 days, outside of, in Galilee, the apostles meet with Jesus He instructs them. He gives them the great commission. I want you to go to the furthest parts of the world 
And I want you to make known who I am. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them to obey my, what, my words. Watch again, my words that the Father has approved. And he hears them. He loves what I say. I want you to go tell everybody about this. And he's lifted off the ground. And he disappears in the clouds. And he goes to heaven up somewhere up. And he sits down at the right hand of his father. So let me ask a question. This is a response question, so get ready. What's he doing right now? What's Jesus doing right now? He's doing what? He lives to what? Intercede. So he's seated at the right hand, he's seated at the right hand of his father. And he intercedes. He makes intercession. So let me give you a biblical text. Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What is interceding? What is he doing? He is speaking on whose behalf? His people's behalf. Who is he speaking to? Speaking to his Father. Listen to this one. Matthew seven twenty five. Consequently, Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So watch this. This, this ought to embolden our prayer life. He's interceding for us. Satan is the great accuser of the brethren, mocking us, pointing out and reminding how bad we are. Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father, making intercession. We pray to Jesus. He hears our words as we pray in line with his word and his nature and his character. And he still speaks. Watch. Still speaks. His Father is giving approval still of the things Jesus speaks to the Father. We have this great hope. And so therefore, here's here's the practical point. On this point this morning, run to the one in whom the Father approves of everything in which Jesus says. So what he said here, the Father approved of. What Jesus continues to say, the Father gives approval of. And so the uniqueness of his words are always heard by the Father. And secondly, under this point, Jesus is the only one whom the Father could send. He couldn't send Noah. He couldn't send Abraham. He couldn't send Samuel, King David, Daniel. He couldn't send Isaiah or Jeremiah. For they could not complete the will of the Father, even though they were in heaven. He could only send one to reveal the Father, to rescue humanity and salvation. For those who would come to believe, Jesus stands alone. So outside of the tomb, listen to what he says. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Kids, students, adults, Talk to the one who has the Father's ear. Talk to him. Talk to him. Read his words. Read his words. Memorize his words. Well, what effect does the voice of Jesus 
have. So when he said these things, 43 says, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is a personal call. Think with this with me for a moment. If he had just said, come out, can you imagine how many dead people would have come out in the area? It's a personal call. Lazarus, I want you. I want you, Lazarus. And it was a precise call. I want you to come forth. You who have been dead, I'm raising you and I want you to come to me. I want you to come out of the grave. The stones have been rolled away and you come out. So he calls Lazarus by name. He calls you and I by name. And he calls us to come forth out of a place of death as he speaks. Romans 4.17 says this, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations and in the presence of God in whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that did not exist he has this power and so jesus fought death at lazarus's tomb and he plundered the grave so it's a personal call it's a precise call this is what you do you come forth and it's a powerful call he comes forth and he tells them to unbind him and to let him go I want you to contemplate this for a moment. A man dead four days rises whole and walks and steps out from the darkness and steps out into the light. And can you imagine the gasps that were present around the tomb? Can you imagine the looking at one another Can you imagine those who have been saying, well, you know, if he'd have been here, could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind man, could he have done something about Lazarus? Yeah, he can. He just did. And there he is standing right there. This is a powerful call for Lazarus. It brought him out of death. It brought him out of darkness into light and life. And he has the power, Jesus does, when he speaks to bring change that is transformative. So he is brought from death to life. This call moved him from leaving and getting rid of his grave clothes and getting back on to life clothes. Get the strips off of him. Get the thing off of his head. You don't need to look like a dead man anymore. And it brought him from darkness into the light. How did everybody respond to that? Well, 45 and 46 tell us. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did and they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Go back to verse 4 just for a second. Let's read it with chapter 11, verse 4. So the sister sent word in verse 3, verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God 
may be glorified through it. Those that were standing there that day saw exactly what Jesus spoke about four days earlier. They would see what? The glory of God. They would see it. Those that would be present would see the glory of God. And so the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, when Lazarus stepped out of that tomb and into the light, and they unbound him, they were able to see the glory of God. Jesus kept his word to the sisters that they would see the glory in the place of death and mourning if they believed. They didn't believe perfectly, but they at least had enough of a mustard seed, and they were able to see what he was going to do and what he did on this day. The Hebrew word for glory of God here is a word that means heaviness or weight or heaviness. And it's, and it's a word that was to be understood about the worth and the majesty and the glory and the might and the power and the fame and the renown and the reputation of God, that He is beyond all who are to get glory. He gets all of the glory. John Calvin wrote about God's glory, and he wrote this sentence. We will never truly glory in Him until we have utterly discarded our own glory. And whoever glories in himself glories against God. And so right there in the tomb, everybody should have just bowed that day. Everybody should have just said, we have never seen anything like this. This is what they said about the blind man. Can you imagine this one? That they, the response that should have been present. That it should have resulted in faith, and it did. Some believed. They believed in who he is. And he had said to Martha in verse 40, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Let me ask this question. What do you think those two sisters did when they got that grave clothes off of Lazarus? Think they went home and had a cup of coffee? Can you imagine the reunion that was? Can you imagine what that must have been like in that moment? She did believe and she saw the glory of Christ. A couple more thoughts. Moses had walked with God for a number of years. And in Exodus 30 through 33, Moses makes this huge request of God. I want to see you. With my eyes, I want to see the greatness of your glory. I want to see it. And I tell you, Moses had seen some phenomenal things about the glory of God. He was present the night of the first Passover. He had encountered the glory of God at the burning bush. He had seen God's glory in the ten plagues. He had seen God deliver the people through the Red Sea. He had seen God's glory when God provided water in the wilderness from a rock. He had seen God's glory every morning when he woke up and there was manna on the ground. But for Moses, he just wanted more. He wanted more. And he said, God, I want to see you. Can I see you? And God says, you can't see me. You see me. You see my glory. You'll die immediately. Nobody gets to see my glory. But here's what I'll do, Moses. Tomorrow morning, you come up the mountain, and I'm going to pass by. And this is amazing. God says, when I pass by you, I'm going to pick you up. Can you imagine being picked up by God? I'm going to come by, and I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to put my hands over your eyes. 
And then I'll remove it and I'll allow you to see the backside of my glory. And as I pass by you, I'm going to speak my name over you. That I'm the Lord who's compassionate and gracious and awesome. And I'm going to, I'm going to do this, Moses. I will allow you to see that aspect of my glory. And that glory was so powerful. Do you remember what happened to Moses' head? He became a living light bulb. That he just lit up. Lit up by witnessing and seeing and beholding the backside of God. And a practical point this morning for all of us in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, is this. We should always want more of the glory of God. You see, it's not the healing from cancer that we need more than anything. It is a vision of the glory of God that we need more than anything. And so, yes, on this day, Jesus did a resurrection. But what the sisters needed and what everybody needed more than anything else to bring about the belief was a vision of the glory of God. So the response to the revelation in the tomb was this. Some believed right there. They believed. And this shouldn't shock us because it happens all the time still. But some of them saw it and they went away and tattletailed on Jesus that he did something again. And they went to the Pharisees. For those who went and told on Jesus, they saw the same glory of God that those who believed did. Got the same revelation on the same day in the same moment. But they were not moved by it. They missed it because they were not moved by the revelation of the glory of God in their midst. And I tell you, when one sees the move of God in His glory and the response is unbelief, I'll just tell you this, this is the inevitable reality. The heart gets harder. It just gets harder and becomes like stone. And what so many fail to believe in our culture today, this is dominant in our culture today with unbelievers. The unbelief in the text here was present not based on a lack of evidence. Did they have evidence that day? They had evidence. Plenty of evidence. A man dead four days is talking and eating and hanging out with his sisters again. So the problem today is not lack of evidence. There's enough evidence, there's enough revelation to believe. Both groups who believe and those who do not all saw the same thing on this day. Some believed and some did not. Those who were close enough could smell the smell of death. Some of them believed, some of them did not. Some of them heard Jesus call, or they all heard Jesus call Lazarus out by name. Some believed, some did not. They saw Lazarus, both groups saw Lazarus walk out of the tomb. Some believed, some did not. They all saw Lazarus' grave clothes be taken off of him. Some believed, and some did not. And they went from that scene to tell the enemies of Jesus what he had done in Bethany. And this will always be the case. People hate God. And yet in this room, we are the blessed ones that he has called us from our tomb, spiritual tomb, and he's called us into life. And are you not grateful? Are we not grateful for the salvation 
that has come to us. I'm a, I'm a dreamer. And sometimes that gets me in trouble. And, um, and I love to imagine things. And I can't go back to Bethany on this day. I'd love to I'd, I'd think about it. Me standing there with everybody else and watching him step out. So last night I watched every video that's ever been made, plays and movies, except for the Mormon video, I didn't watch it, of Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And I watched about 10 of them last night. And every time I teared up. Because I thought, how amazing is God? That a man dead four days and his body's decaying in the cer- cellular degeneration. You have no idea what happens to the body in day four. And he walks out and there's nothing wrong that was wrong just a few seconds before. He has been made whole. And this is our Jesus. This is our King. This is the one who is worthy of our worship. And our response should be now to say, I, like Moses, again, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. And I believe it with all my heart that it's not too late. And he may not do anything, but why not ask? Why not ask for him to move again in this country? Why not ask for him to awaken the church again? Why not? Why not keep asking? Why not keep waiting? Why not keep asking? Why not keep waiting? Why not keep asking? Why not keep fasting? And if it never happens in our lifetime and we breathe our last, we step into His presence and we have the hope and the promise that He will have this great resurrection one day where not just Lazarus is raised, we are raised. He's out of the tomb now. The unfortunate thing for Lazarus, he had to die again. He had to physically die again. But can you imagine, we're going we're to get to John chapter 12 in a couple of weeks. And sitting around a table in John chapter 12 is Lazarus and a guy named Simon the leper. Two people in the room, evidence of the power of God. And what he can do in somebody's life. If you're here this morning and you are entombed by anything that I've said today or maybe something I've not said in your life. And you feel like you're in darkness. I want you to know he's present here today and he is calling you to believe. And there's nothing magical about words other than this. That we confess that He died. We confess that He rose. And that He is Lord. And we believe that. Then we are rescued on the inside. We are dead on the inside. We come alive in that faith. So if you have any questions about that today. We are going to be present. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you've come with somebody today. They'd love to talk with you about that. Kids, your parents would love to talk with you about that promise you that do you see his majesty today in a tomb the glory of God raising a dead man let's pray